Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Breakdown the Wall. Today I am joined by Chris Chance. So Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Tell the listeners a little bit about you, your hobbies and your job. Uh, so thank you for having me, uh, James. It's a pleasure to be along. I think, uh, I guess for those of you who don't know me then, uh, Chris Chance, uh, I'll go with job first and then hobby second. Uh, I'm responsible for leading a large telco uh, operation, so just over 20 years industry experience and I guess fortunate enough to have a lot of time leading businesses across different sectors uh, and across different parts of the world, including India um, and South Africa. It's a hugely demanding role, but I do, I love it and I guess there's that old quote that if you find something you enjoy, you'll never work a day in your life, but uh, that's probably what I do. Do you know? tell you that I'm literally always on I'm always thinking about something else that's next to new so that's that's my job I've, I'm a, a dad of three as you know and uh, my hobbies I used to play football but you'll know better than most that my brain and my feet stop talking to each other <laughs> as I got a bit older uh, and I probably wasn't very very good towards the tail end so I wrapped that but the thing I'm doing just now is running uh, I think since the start of the year I became a bit obsessed with running one of the things I wanted to do this year was pick up a couple of different running challenges so running is my, my main hobby just now good stuff mate yeah I know the feeling about your brain and your feet doing different things trust me I'm at that age now myself um, <laughs> so just pick up on the running stuff right so I know you are obviously you've got a charity challenge um, coming up so talk to us a wee bit about that what is it you're, you're actually doing and when is it you're doing it so uh, every every year uh, I do this thing called giving yourself an A so I learned it in, in one of the business courses I did many years ago. So it's a guy called Ben, ben Zander. He's the lead conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. And he does this thing with all his students where at the start of the year, he gives them an A. And the only thing they have to do to achieve that A is to write a letter dated a year from now and tell them how they've achieved that A. So who they've become, how they've behaved, what they've achieved. And uh, that's kind of what I do at the start of every year. And uh, when I wrote my A this year, uh, one of the things I wrote on there that I wanted to do was the David Goggins 4448 challenge. Um, so for those of you who don't know who David Goggins is, he's an ex-Navy SEAL, but he's an endurance athlete. A pretty incredible character and uh, he does this challenge every year where he runs four miles every four uh, hours for 48 hours so 52 miles in total across the 48 hours um, and he he does it to help break routine um, so I kind of read about this and thought this guy's a bit crazy this sounds like a bit of a bit of a challenge Let, let's do it so when I was writing my A this year I thought I'm, I'm going to do it um, and then unfortunately at the start of the year we, we lost a couple of people um, in the business due, one due to COVID, one, one other illness and um, we decided that it was an opportunity to try and do two things at once so kind of do the challenge and raise money at the same time. Um, a few other things have happened in between then and it's evolved a little bit so it's turned into now raising £400 for four different charities um, as of this afternoon we're up at £895 so uh, you know, we've smashed the target which is which is great to see so yeah I'm putting my mind and my body on the line on Thursday the 18th uh, to kick off the challenge Alright so, so obviously explain a wee bit about there why you're doing it in terms of for the, for the different charities and stuff like that so I mean how did you how did you hear about it? It's, uh, I heard about it because uh, <clears throat> there's a chap called, I think his name is Jesse Itzler, he's, he's a multi-millionaire in America, and uh, he bumped into David Goggins uh, at some sort of conference and he says to him, like, you, you're a bit crazy, I've heard all about you, I'd like you to come and live with me for 30 days. 
Um, so David Goggins signed up to the challenge and went to live with Jesse Itzler for, for 30 days um, and an opportunity to kind of try and change his lifestyle, break the norm, give him a different routine than what he'd kind of got into. Um, and it was kind of through this that I learned the 4448. But I thought it was a quite a, an incredible journey that, that David Goggins himself was put on. He's got a book out and, and Jesse Itzler, who got David to come and stay with him, uh, he's also written a book. I've not read them both yet, but but certainly seem like pretty good, good reads. But there's a part in there around about actually if you always do what you've always done, you can always get what you've always got. And there's a part in there around about breaking that routine for me, which was pretty important. And I, I kind of buy into that concept about really challenging your mind and really pushing the boundaries of where you think you can go. Uh, because I think if you can really push the boundaries and really kind of push the your kind of comfort zone, then that makes you a stronger person as well. Because uh, that's what I was going to say. I mean, physically, that, that's going to be horrendously difficult but mentally lack of sleep finding the, the sort of time when it when to eat and the sort of the right things to eat what is there anything you've got lined up that you've got planned that it's going to help you cope mentally with that yeah i think it, a lot of people say that it's really tough at the back end it takes out at that point it's you know when do you get showered when shouldn't you you know so if you, you can't you can't go every four miles and then get a shower you'll, you'll end up with you know blisters you know about a quarter of the way in um, so I've had to think quite carefully about you know what time because you can't come in and just eat what you want you know four o'clock in the morning and stuff like that so trying to kind of balance up when am I going to eat when am I going to drink what, when am I going to try and sleep when am I going to shower when am I going to have ice baths so I've literally planned out from my first run at six o'clock on the Thursday to my last run at six o'clock on the Saturday you know when each one is going to happen so it's a bit of a timetable so some bizarre stuff happening in there in terms of what you can eat and when you can sleep but um, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty tough mentally towards the back end of it, which is, if you can have anyone that's done it, will, will know that. Yeah, no, it generally does sound absolutely horrific, if I'm being honest, mate, but no, that, <laughs> it's, it's all for a good cause, I'm sure. Obviously, like, as you said there, I've known you, played football and stuff like that together, and I know you've kind of had a bit of a, a difficult time uh, over the last sort of few years and things like that, so... Talk me through sort of what's probably been the most difficult period in your life then? I think it's uh, life's pretty amazing as, as you know when you become a parent it's the most amazing thing ever uh, but it comes with ups and downs and I think a lot of people have suffered those ups and downs maybe more so maybe in the last kind of 12 18 months for people I think as we were kind of pushing into COVID and, and through that and what will come ahead but I guess for me in the part that you probably know a bit more about than, than what other people will, will know is that probably about five, six years ago was probably the lowest point in my life where I put, it wasn't one individual thing. I think when you listen to Chris's podcast and you listen to Mark's, there's different things that have happened in their life that hugely impacted them and they've had to fight really hard to find ways out of that. It, mine's probably wasn't one individual thing. It was probably a combination of things that all happened at, at the one time that probably took me to my most vulnerable place that I've probably ever been in before. And as I said, it wasn't one thing. It was, I'd I went for a board meeting one day at uh, my job and, and the board said to me, look, you're not quite the person we're looking for anymore. Go and take three months holiday, which is business speak for three months pylon, which is payment and loan notice. So that the, in, a, in effect, you know, go, go take some time off before we terminate your employment. Um, so generally I left the office that day thinking, wow, not sure what just happened. And literally on the, the way I was driving home, somebody phoned me to say, where are you? And as I answered my phone, I heard the blues 
tourist to my right and there was a police car and they pulled me over and uh, he says to me, mobile phone, you know, three points and a hundred pound fine. Last year on my way home, so in the same hour that I'd technically, you know, been handed my books, my jotters, um, sent home, uh, I'd been caught on my mobile phone and rightly so, was given three points and a uh, hundred pound fine. But at the same time that was happening, I was kind of thinking ahead to, you know, what happens if I don't get a job? You know, what happens if I can't pay the bills? What does that mean? How do I get around that? So you kind of, your brain goes into proper overdrive at that mode. And at the same time, I was going through quite a difficult breakup and there was kids involved. And it's how you kind of navigate that situation along with us. And I'm probably such a, and you'll probably know this, but yeah, quite a proud guy. And I'm quite a tough, resilient guy. But I kind of found myself just at a point where I wasn't too sure if I was allowed to go to speak to somebody about this size, I, I could I speak to my mate and say, by the way, I've just been handed my jaws, or is that a bit embarrassing? Because I was, as this is, it's kind of that proudness that's there. And uh, I think there was other stuff going on kind of around about me as well. And I kind of thought, I'm just not too sure I want to be involved in any of this anymore. And I kind of found myself at the side of the M8 one night and I was like, I'm not too sure what to do. And probably generally the lowest point and the most vulnerable point that I've ever been in. And I kind of look back thinking how stupid it was. But equally at that point, it wasn't. It was my whole world that just kind of came round down about me, my career that I'd fought really hard to build through a number of years, you know, 15 odd years in the industry. I was a proud dad and I, I kind of just wasn't too sure what to do or who to go to. And I've got lots of mates around about me. You know, you know what it's like in the football team? Everyone's there, but actually it's the ability. And I think you talked about in a previous um, podcast as well. It's, it's that ability to hear and, and the ability to listen. Um, but I just was too proud. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. And I probably just really, really low. wasn't sure what to do. And I was a bit of a bubbling mess. And, and I thought, I, I, don't, I don't know what's next. I genuinely, genuinely don't know what to do here. And that kind of vulnerable part still haunts me a little bit. It's still ingrained in the back of my head. And I genuinely looked down and my phone had lit up and there was a message. And it was just a notification. And it just said, hey, you OK? And I remember thinking wow like just it was the most bizarre because i hadn't reached out to anyone it was just a message at that bizarre point in time and you honestly won't believe this right but that person who sent that message is now my wife so it was dion that had sent it to me but I, at that time we were just work colleagues you know and, and she'd kind of said that i said why did you send that message and she says i just, you just didn't see me yourself i was just checking if you were all right and i thought somebody cares um, and it's so stupid now when I think back about who, why, why would somebody not care, you know, kids and everything else. But it's probably just it wasn't one thing. It was a combination of all those things that just kind of came down on top of me. And I probably went from a pretty strong guy to probably the most vulnerable guy, um, you know, in the space of, of probably a week. Um, and I think, you know, kind of looking back, you know, I, I'm not sure where my head was at back then, but. It, I wasn't controlling the voice that was in it and that was the scary part for me and, and for those who are maybe listening thinking what voice that's the voice you know there's there's, there's two in there unfortunately and I, I probably wasn't in control of that that second voice and and that probably scared me quite a lot actually knowing that it wasn't me that was in my head and it's quite hard to explain and maybe people listening thinking back thinking what well, Chris that's that's a bit odd didn't, didn't know that would, would never have thought that but I think that's that that's probably the purpose of, of hopefully what you're trying to get out of these sessions is that when people think that I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, whether it be financial, whether it be parent advice, whether it be something, someone is always there, uh, but you just in those moments don't think they are. Obviously, like as, as you said there, it wasn't just that one thing for you, it was a build-up of things, uh, and I'm, I'm certainly sure that there's loads of people out there that can relate to that because 
as you said, when when we spoke before, it was like, no, I, I know Chris is a proud guy, speaks really well, mentally strong, resilient, and as the saying goes, it's never the people you think that is struggling that is actually struggling. Um, and Robin Williams comes to mind about that sort of thing, you know. How, and I'll use this term loosely, right, um, because of the football men, so how mentally injured were you and how did you survive that sort of period in your life then? It's I probably it's probably the, the most mentally injured I've been and I probably wasn't too sure if there was a way back and that's probably the scary part when I look back now, James, I'm, I'm not too sure I could see a way back at that point and I think the, I, I, I had to develop kind of a way of, of kind of managing that and building myself kind of coping strategies to get myself through it and I think kind of thanks to being you know getting three months paid holiday you know sacked um, then I had time to probably think about what that meant what I had to do and um, I kind of at the time that this had happened I would, I'd started boot camp um, and I kind of threw myself into boot camp and used that as my distraction so I kind of looked at what I could do I, I, I was training probably twice a day I was training at the weekends and I probably threw myself on kind of fitness to, to kind of take my mind off everything else but I felt horrible I thought I looked horrible I thought I looked fat just the most kind of vulnerable that I think I probably ever was and it's just bizarre to kind of look back and think of that now but it just properly doing the boot camp classes and go, looking at everyone in the boot thinking they really could be thinking I'm fat or I'm ugly and just the, I just kind of broke myself like just really shattered my, my who I was as a person <clears throat> so I was I was probably really broke to answer your question um, and I, I probably had to work out how I found my way back and I, I, I probably had to, to work quite hard on that and work on who I was and, and we kind of there was probably when I look back there's probably three things that, that probably I, I, I probably still carry me through to this day actually which is kind of building the right ecosystem which is kind of make sure you've got the right people around about you I, I didn't, wouldn't say I didn't have the right people around about me but equally probably wasn't people I could talk to and open up to at that time didn't feel I could um, so I think there's that kind of surround yourself with great people and you'll make better decisions um, the kind of second one was asking myself a different set of questions because if you ask yourself the same set of questions you're always going to get the same set of answers um, and that sounds stupid but it's true and I think there was a piece in there which is I knew I needed to ask myself a different set of questions to get a different set of answers and that's something I still use today and I think the third one is there's a really famous quote, and I'll probably get it wrong, but there was a famous quote by Mike Tyson that says, you know, if it, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And, and I probably was that person. I probably had a plan thinking, here's my career, here's where I'm going, here's what I'm doing, here's what I, I, I everything kind of mapped out, and I got punched in the mouth. And I didn't have a response to it, and I probably tried to get up and go straight again, whether it's, I didn't need to, I could have took to my knee, counted to eight, and then went again. And I never, I just thought I needed to get straight back up and go again and probably made some bad decisions as I, as, as I went through that. And I think the, the, probably the fourth thing and the last thing is I don't do a lot of social media because it's, to use a Kevin Bridges sketch, it's a horrible place. If social media was a pub, would you go in? Absolutely not. You know, Twitter, you know, face paint and all that nonsense. You know, it's 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 a difficult place. I like seeing pictures of kids and folks' dinners and you know their presents and all that good stuff. It's just not what it is. So I, I really, really limit my time to social media. That I, I don't have to go on it. I don't spend hours on it because I just don't feel that I get anything from it. And they, they're probably the four things that probably got me through probably the, the, the time I was in. But equally, are the four things that I still rely on today as my kind of coping strategies. No, you're absolutely right, mate. And just to pick up on the social media thing, so obviously you always hear about celebrities taking a 
sort of a hiatus from social media and stuff like that. And it was actually, funny enough you say that, right, it was, I think I was out of walk on right Monday and we were talking about a whole host of stuff and we are talking about the podcast and stuff like that. And the, the question he asked me is, uh, is, could you live without social media or could you live without the gym? And I was like, coming from a telecoms background, right, social media is yeah. massive, you know, and, and it's like, it, it does a lot of good stuff out there. But then, like, it's so poisonous. And then you think to yourself, yeah. like, I'd much rather go down the gym or I'd much rather exercise or whatever else than spend 45 minutes or an hour scrolling. Do you know what I mean? And, it's and it's crazy. And I think, you know, the, the good thing, when you look at your kind of weekly FaceTime, you get your report every week now. I think it, it sends it to you today how long you spent. You know, you generally look at that and think, what could I've invested four hours into my health, my, my well-being, it, you know, a hobby, taking up something else. It's just not, it's, you, you sit on it for hours and you get nothing back from it other than either feeling good because you've seen something that's made you feel good because someone else is feeling bad or the vice versa. You come off feeling shit because you think somebody else has got something better than you and, and, and I think it's just a horrible, horrible place. And, you know, if social media shut down tomorrow, would I be bothered? Absolutely not. I think it's hopefully over the next few years it straightens itself out. But yeah, if it was a pub, then no, I certainly wouldn't be going in. No, I think, I think you're right. And, and even if you think back to earlier on this week, uh, the whole uh, Harry and Meghan interview, and it was it was something I seen. It was it was quite a, a nice way to put it. Actually, there was I never seen any sort of I'm I'm not on Twitter, so I never seen any sort of trolling of Meghan and stuff like that reaching out. But I certainly seen somebody had posted, and I, it was somebody shared on Facebook was like, Megan will not see all the trolling, all the sort of comments about you're a lying bastard and, and this, that and the next fucking thing, do you know what I mean? But see your friend who is really, really struggling, they'll see that you are absolutely caning somebody and they'll not come to you for help. And, and you know what it was like? It's, it's so true. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's crazy, so, it's but it's, so it's true. 100% true, isn't it? You know, uh, why would you go to your friend who is absolutely berating someone else on a social media platform it's but, but equally that those people will be the same people saying you know if you're struggling you know it's good to talk and you know be kind and all this sort of stuff you know they'll, they'll use the strap lines but you've got to think about the shadow that you're casting and what that is to the people around about you and that's why that ecosystem is so important to surround yourself with good people and you'll make better decisions yeah and even as well obviously what was happening with the, the sort of the tragic um, women down south Obviously, he was murdered by somebody that's not been proven guilty yet, I suppose. So, I don't want to say it's a police officer, but obviously, he's been charged by it. But there was obviously an outcry on uh, social media regarding the female gender, saying that basically how they feel uncomfortable walking home uh, and things like that, and for how they always carry keys in their, their hands and all that sort of stuff. I've not read too much into it. However, there was then I seen a sort of hashtag, not all men. So, it was then men having their say about things and, and and see the thing is it was like see there was no social media there would be no hatred towards absolutely anybody out with your own circle you know like you wouldn't be voicing an opinion about somebody which would then possibly lead to making somebody feel absolute shite and possibly making them go and do something that they might not have absolutely done you know it's like, oh, like I see Shane Duffy it's absolutely dog's abuse about his dad dying on social media. He, he posts it, Instagram posts and stuff like that. I've seen some horrific stuff about the Rangers players. Uh, Walter Smith obviously had, uh, got an operation recently. 
um, and he's recuperating in hospital, thankfully, and, and hopefully gets out soon. But the amount of hatred that's in, that comes from social media is absolutely horrific. And that's something I say to my missus quite a lot is like, you would never ever say something to somebody's face that you would say in social media, you know, in case it made them feel upset or anything like that at all. Yeah. Yeah, spot on. I, I just, it's not, it's something that I really limit my, my space and my time on because um, I get nothing back from it. And to, to, to your exact point, you find, you know, um, yourself getting involved in a whole lot of stuff and none of it's nice reading. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit and listen to it in a pub and I wouldn't sit and listen to it, or, you know, anywhere else. So I'm certainly not going to put myself through it by actively tuning into a channel, a social media channel to watch it happening. So, yeah, I've kind of re- repurposed that, but, but that's kind of where I've found time to do other stuff, you know, spend more time with the kids, do running, you know, write, spending more time on a book. Um, you know, I think it's just repurposing that time and energy into something else, and I think you'll get more back from it. No, absolutely. See, so just to go back to, obviously, when you were at the side of the M8, not sure what to do and stuff like that, right? See, when you're kind of a older and wiser now, do you ever look back and, and think to yourself, I'd have done things so differently if I'd done such and such, went on to that and so on? Is there anything that you would have changed back then? Yeah, I, I definitely. I think that, that Chris touched on this a little bit towards the tail end of his first podcast and he talked about talking more. And um, it's really easy to say that, but it's really hard to do, to strike up that conversation to say, look, I need help and I need to share something with you. Um, and I think kind of back then, I probably wasn't great at doing that. I probably wasn't good at opening up and, and saying, like, I need to talk or I've got a problem. Or, you know, I, I, I probably sold what happened to me in my job is I'm taking three months holiday. You know, I'm just switching off for three months. You know, I, I wasn't honest with anyone around about me because nobody else I thought needed to know that. So therefore, I didn't share it. I just kept it to myself and I put my spin on it. Um, because I was too proud a guy to say, by the way, I've I've, I've been I've been sacked. And uh, there is that, and, and I think when you look back now, there's probably so many different ways I would approach it. To be honest with you, James, I was I was an idiot, and and um, I think that there's more channels now available to people. There's more that people can do. But equally, you know, don't be scared because I was at the time to open up that conversation to say, by the way, I need a bit of help. I'm struggling a bit. I just dressed it up in a way that I thought anyone, everyone else wanted to see around about me. Um, and that wasn't just not healthy because I, went, I I didn't sleep at night. I wasn't sleeping. I was thinking about job. I was thinking about money. I was thinking about you know what people thought about me. That was the, probably the part that chewed in my head the most was what do other people think about me? That's why I can't say that. So I was more worried about my reputation and, and, and what people thought about me when actually I look back now and think, I don't give a shit what people think about me. You know, you'll, you'll, I'm sure everyone's got their opinions of everyone. I honestly could not care less. The only thing that I need to worry about is is my kids and my, my family and, and, and that's where my focus is now. And it probably took that to happen in the years that, that then happened after that for me to look back and realise that really basic principle is I don't really care what other people think about me because everyone's got an opinion. No, you're 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 right, mate. And it's like I think the, the older the older you get, the, the more you realise that that what's it, there's a there's a saying out there that you can have a your your circle gets smaller the older you get because your your proper friends stay by yeah. your side, you know. But um, you certainly hit the nail on the head about about feeling vulnerable, you know. And and, and I I think that's certainly a, a reason why people find it difficult to to kind of show their their vulnerable. To other people, it's like, I mean, we're all, all mammals at the end of the day, we're all animals, you don't want to show that your vulnerability to somebody, you know, but certainly I find that, that when you get older, 
you can have those proper conversations. And like my mate Mark, who was on uh, last time, he when he opened up to me, like as I said in the podcast, I thought to myself, the wee man's got some set of balls on him because I couldn't do that. I could when I was trying that hard, I couldn't open up to my, my mates. Um, and, and as I said in the first podcast, like sorry, the second one with, with, with Chris Ferry, um, some of my mates were even saying like, why didn't you fucking speak to me? I'd have helped you, you know, and it's, it's, as you go back to that point, it's, you're almost too proud. 100% I, I was, and, and I think that some of the, the guys that were listening to this thinking, I'm going to burst him and I get a hold of him, because I think they'll be probably thinking the exact same. And I think probably people knew that I wasn't quite right and did the other things round about to help and support me. So, you know, David picked me up almost every time I went to boot camp, we would have breakfast with me when we had finished boot camp. So I think people recognised that that's kind of how I was dealing with it, but probably didn't realise what was going on inside my head. Um, so people were there for me in, in different ways, but I just couldn't open up to have the conversation because I was probably scared in terms of what that meant. Would I, would I cry? Would I break down? Would somebody have to see that? And that's the part that I probably struggled with, was just that I knew I was at the most vulnerable part of my life, but I did not want anyone else to see that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So, moving, moving into sort of a few years after that then, um, obviously the, the, the three-month holiday that you got set you up for the rest, yeah. of, the rest of your career anyway, right? So, I know within your job now, like, I, I know what it feels like as well, like, you're a leader of a lot of people, um, you don't just have your direct reports, you have their direct reports as well, and sometimes even those, those direct reports also, and sometimes there's there's a magnitude of people that don't actually imagine that you care about them, okay? And it's like you actually probably know about each and every single one of them. So if they're unwell, if they're off sick from work, you obviously you get notified about all that sort of stuff. So massive, massive, massive challenge, okay? How do you cope with having so many people to worry about and then focus on your own everyday life? So it's a um, I think when when you when you lead a lot of people, um, I think you have to be emotionally intelligent to know what what's going on. And um, when you're dealing with a lot of people across a lot of geographies and different time zones and everything else that comes with that as well, you have to do a couple of things. And the first one is is build the right team because you're right, you can't physically be everywhere and everything to everyone. So you have to build the right team who can really keep the heartbeat of the operation of which you're kind of ultimately leading at the end of the day. Um, so that's the kind of the tough part of it. It's um, it, it, it's the, probably the biggest thing I've learned and one of the benefits of COVID has been we, we use Microsoft Teams to, to communicate quite a lot and I am probably more accessible now than what I've ever been. So I can dial into whether it be a briefing, I can dial into a team meeting, whether it be in India, whether it be um, in Brentwood, whether it be you know wherever it is in, in, in the country, I can dial into it and I can take part in it. Whether it's before, I'd probably have to travel to all those places and I'd be you know spend a lot of time in airports and in hotels. So I'm probably more accessible now than what I've ever been before. So that's to me a huge benefit. I think the second one is is I think the vulnerability that I learned that I had back all those years ago, I still keep that and I still think you should, there is an element of being vulnerable in leadership and showing people that you're not, you know, that, that, that you are they are human um, and that, you you know, you've got a family, you've got a life, you've got a history, you you are there to help, help them and be successful and drive the business forward. Um, and I think that vulnerability, I think linked to that openness and transparency about, you know, 
where we are and where we're going, I think allows you to connect with people on a different level that probably wasn't necessarily there before, James. And I think that's a real benefit for me that, that hasn't always been there because you're right, it's always been somewhere in an organisational chart. You see a name and you think it's that person and don't know who they are. And I think COVID's probably taught us that that's not what it is. It's how you really compress the layers and get close to people. And we've got a lot of different programmes and initiatives that enable that to happen now that we didn't have before. So yeah, it's a tough one, but you do, you know, when, when you're in different businesses, you go to sleep every night knowing that you're responsible for thousands of jobs and you, you don't, it's not, a, it's not something you take lightly and it's something as you go through your career that you really, really, you, you take with you everywhere you go and you know that it's responsible for that. You know that you're responsible for development, the health and safety, each one of those individuals. And that's why you need to build the right structure and people around about you so that they can help enable all that to happen. And I think that accompanied by the fact that you become more vulnerable, sorry, more accessible with the technologies we've got, I think that, that really helps as well. And, the, you know, whilst they might not necessarily know the, the, the story of, of five years ago, they know that, that I am a human and that I've been through some tough times. They know that I will get more wrong than I'll get right. Uh, but equally, we're in an environment where we can learn from that and then we move on. And it's an environment that carries them, you know, get it wrong, dust yourself down, and then we go again together. Um, so I think that kind of level of kind of leadership certainly helps people know that you are there and you have got their back. No, you're absolutely right. And one thing that I always learned was like, you, I mean, I used to go out and, and, and visit engineers. I would always ask them something. And when you see them again three or four months later, and you brought it up, so if you say is it, if you find out they had like a dog, and then you three or four months later and you asked about how their dog was, see the difference in that person's approach to you because you've got that personal touch with them. It is absolutely frightening, and, and as you say, it's, it's about making people aware that you are human, and that's that's for for me is a big thing. But just to go back to obviously, so that that's kind of a the massive challenge of your job, right? So how do you balance that with focusing on your own? everyday life with your your wife, your kids, your 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 fitness regime and stuff like that. How, how do you how do you cope with that? So it's I generally I am I'm built always on so I can wake up at three, four o'clock in the morning to go to the toilet, which is something you seem to do more as you get older now and you drink more water. I've noticed that's been creeping in. Um I think that's probably maybe me showing my age now, but <laughs> they, they, I can get up at three, four o'clock in the morning, go to my notebook, write something in it and then go back to bed. And Dion's like, Chris, what on earth are you doing? And I'm literally just built always on. That's the way I think I always have been. Um, that there are, I've probably not always been great at doing the work-life balance piece and probably my, my team would tell you that, that I'm, I'm not great at doing that. But one of the things that we decided to do in January uh, between Dion and I was come up with a bit of a charter that allowed us to kind of make sure we could navigate some of those things a bit better as we went through lockdown three. Um, so, for example, on a, a Tuesday and a Thursday, they're running days. So I've got to finish at six and I've got to have my dinner and then I've got to get out running. They're the, they're the running days and I get to pick one one day at the weekend where I get to go on my long run. Um, a Wednesday's family night, so I finish at five. I bath Callie, I feed Callie, I get Callie sorted and Dion gets to do her own thing. Mondays are working late night. And Friday every second week, I kind of pick up the kids. So we've kind of built a bit of a rotor around, you know, what we do and how we do it to give us a bit more structure. That's not what we had to kind of lockdown one and two. I can tell you that it was a lot of long days and a lot of long hours. Probably the same with yourself as we tried to work out who was critical of national infrastructure, who was critical to society, how we could keep, you know, all the different parts of the country connected during the pandemic. But I think as we went into lockdown three, it, we decided as a family that we needed to make some changes to make sure that there was that better work life balance. 
do we get it right every week? No, we don't. But certainly we we know what we should be doing for the week ahead now, which is which is helps. So therefore, we've kind of got the days that you can train, the days that are family days, and, and you know when I'm off, I'm off. So like I, I literally just switch off now, which is something I've not been been great at doing. So the weekends, you know, we went down to the Q shed in, in Ayrshire and we, we, we got some milk. Then we went to the beach park and we walked along the beach where Wellies on. And I, I don't take my phone with me anymore. So therefore, even if you do want me, you can't get a hold of me because um, it's my family time now. And that's something that I probably wasn't great at doing before. So my work life balance was pretty shocking. But um, I, it's something that I've definitely worked on as we've been going through uh, the tail end of last year into this year. Just, just when you say that about not taking your phone there, I remember uh, myself and my missus went to Dublin last year. Not last year, was it maybe two years ago now? <laughs> and I had my work phone with me and I took a phone call and the look that she gave me was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> so to say that that phone got switched off very quickly was um, was an understatement. But you know, you're absolutely right. You have to have that work-life balance. Um, and I think a lot of people are finding sort of a much more happier work-life balance with working from home now. And, and, and I was speaking to my brother-in-law yesterday and we were talking about like he's worked from home since March last year and, and he is very eager to get back into the office to actually see people again other than yeah. his wife and his two kids, you know, which is similar to a lot of folk out there. However, I think moving forward that a lot of businesses will be kind of a 50-50 split. So it'll be two days in the office uh, three days at home because people, I don't know what it is, right, but people have become a lot more understanding in the last year. Like, as you said earlier on, like Teams calls, like I've had my wee boy in the background with Teams calls and usually I'd be saying to him, right, be quiet, wee man, don't don't say anything, but now it's almost acceptable to say, I, I'm, I'm working from home, I can't help that, you know, this is, this is how I am and people accept that, you know. It's definitely, it's definitely been, you know, we were on a, it's, it's been, definitely been a period of adjustment. I think, you know, you've allowed people into your home, literally allowed people into your home, because as you say, you're on camera, people can see what's around about you, you know, they know you're in the kids' room, you know, they're in a bedroom, you know, they're in the living room, so people can kind of see your house now, which is, is kind of this real transparency that we've had through through COVID. I think you're right, the, the noises of the dog in the background or somebody coming into your room and you're trying to shush, shush them out, you know, almost like that video of the chap who was interviewed was it four or five years ago, <laughs> He's on TV and he's trying to the kids out of the road. And um, that was kind of that was probably everyone, but just not on camera at that time. So I think there's a real acceptance of you know people are in your home now. Um, we were doing a as we were doing a Teams call and I was doing a leadership update and like to quite a kind of senior team and, and it was a Wednesday so so Dion was off work and, and Callie had been in a, a kind of morning bath and she literally came bursting into the room and um, kind of straight up wanting on the chair so this naked baby literally naked bum on camera and child and I was like well, what do you do with this like just try to work out how to like deal with that situation um, so people are just accepting I think of, of what's round about us now which is which which is great and I think you're right I think there'll be that balance that many businesses will take as they, they look to, to go back to whatever normality will, will look like um, in that kind of home, home working but I think it's definitely one of the things that I would spend hours in airports and train stations and hotels and lots of overnights and I think Covid has probably allowed me to see how hard it is for Dion being a mum and actually see what she's had to do when I'm not there so I think having exposure to that's probably I knew about it, I just didn't realise how much hard work it can be and taxing it was. Um, and actually having real early signs of that early on and, and during COVID, I thought, bloody hell, what an amazing person you are. 
to juggle all this stuff. Um, so I think that's allowed me to probably say I need to lean in and be a bit better and help with that work-life balance to make sure I can help more around the house and, and be a bit of a better dad and husband, certainly. Um, but I think the secondary piece to that as well is that I think through the journey that I've been on, you need to be able to find that balance in your own head of finding time for yourself, finding time for your family. And I think if you're not finding that time for yourself and finding that time for your family, then you're probably not really setting yourself up for success either. You're probably going to walk into issues. Um, and I think if you can find that way of tuning out and tuning into something else, it will definitely help your, 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 your mental state. And, you know, I listen to podcasts. That's how I came across this one. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts um, I, when I'm out running, uh, when I've got my own time. So it's, it's one of the things that, you know, rather than spending hours thumbing, you know, social media, I've, I've put it to better use to work out what's out there and learn more. Oh, absolutely. You mentioned earlier on that you've obviously, you're writing a book just now. So talk me through that then. What's the book about? When is it going to be ready? So I think the um, the book itself is, um, I've been looking to do it for a couple of years. I've had the best part of 20 years um, experience in the industry now, and I've been very fortunate to work with some of the, the, the best teams in the industry and some of the best individuals in the industry. And I've learned lots along the way. You know, I spent huge amounts of time in different parts of India, different parts of South Africa, been to Australia, around the UK. I've, I've had an amazing, amazing kind of 20 odd years and I've learned a lot of things from a lot of people and uh, I've always kept a bit of a, a, what I've called my black book of things I've learned along the way. And uh, as I kind of go back to that book, that book's now almost filled of stuff that I think I've learned and it's really helped me in my career. But I think why I initially wanted to write the book was I wanted to write a business book then. Actually, as I played with that idea in my head through some weeks and some months, I thought, actually, because everyone writes business books, why do you want to write a business book? And actually, I kind of thought, really kind of found myself repointing the purpose of the book, which is to leave something for Emily, Ollie and Callie to read that if they are about to face into the world that is, they can pick up a book and think, here's my dad's 9, 10, 11 lessons of life that he learned and how he got around about them and how he approached them. Um, so what was initially going to be a business book might still have that same sort of theme through it, but it's written for the kids. Uh, it's written for them to say, here's the things I wish somebody could have taught me when I was growing up and the lessons that probably took me two decades to learn. Here's it in a book and digestible bite-sized bits that you can take away and learn from yourself. Um, so the content's flowing just now. Lots of great conversations happening. There's a couple of people that I've roped in to help me with the book. Um, and uh, we're looking to have it in draft by the end of this year, hopefully publication early next year. No, it sounds good, mate. And do you know what? I think that would be really interesting and really unique as well. Because as you said, it's like there is loads of different business books out there. But to actually almost, it's like a message in a bottle to your kids, isn't it? And saying, don't do this, don't do this, maybe do that. But don't do this and do this and so on. So no, that sounds great. Quick fire ten questions doing this with all the guests. So I'm going to go through them a wee bit unique to yourself as well. Okay, so try and be as quick as possible with them. Here all we right. go. Right, okay. So first one, South Africa or India? Oh, toughie. Um, South Africa, Cape Town. Okay. Sky or Virgin? Oh, Sky. Sky. Sky Sports or BT Sports? <laughs> BT Sports. <laughs> right, this is one each in the sort of season so far, okay? Tonics Tea Cake or Tonics Camel Weaver? Might be the wafer. Oh. Running or walking? Running. Rom-com or action movies? 
action movies. <coughs> Hashtag romcom. <laughs> Can't be a romcom, mate. To be fair, Ayrshire or Lanarkshire? Oh, Lanarkshire. Don't oh. tell the wife I said that, but the the email one boys will give me chip if I don't say Lanarkshire. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this, but EE or Vodafone? EE. All day long. <laughs> And the last one, right, just on the last week, Harry and Meghan or the Royals? Oh, uh, controversial, James. Uh, uh, Harry and Meghan, I think. I've not, I've not watched all the stuff, so I'm just guessing. I'm leaning more towards Harry and Meghan. Are you? Uh, it was, I watched it, mate. It was, it, was, um, it was interesting, to say the least. A lot of, um, a lot of things were discussed and things like that, so it was not... It was a, you should watch it. It's a good interview. Just kind of, I take it from a non-biased point of view, where... You don't believe or disbelieve anything, but um, yeah, yeah, I will do. I will do. I'll. Uh, Dion, Dion was watching it. She was glued to the TV. She had been watching the Crown and everything in the lead up to it, so I could hear her showing some profanities at the TV <laughs> during it. Imagine. It was a bit like you watching the football, I think. But yeah, she was she was pretty all in when she was watching it. Okay, mate, that's us. So thanks very much for coming on. Um, I really do appreciate it. Cheers, James. Thank you, mate. Take care.